The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome ladies to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. This week, we dive into the topic of music and music therapy. We go deep with music therapist Dr. Alison Short and Gina Chung. We open up about our love for music and our current research project in women's health, gynecology and fertility treatments. A bit about these fantabulous women I'm privileged to be working with. Dr. Alison Short is an internationally accredited music therapy academic, an experienced health services researcher and past president and honorary life member of the Australian Music Therapy Association. She directs the Master's Music Therapy Training at Western Sydney University, leads the university-wide music and health industry research cluster, and publishes widely. Gina Chung is a funky chick. She's a registered music therapist who works in a wide range of settings and is a fantastic music therapy research assistant. A little bit of a backstory. In late 2016, I was sitting on Cronulla Beach, as you do. It was an overcast and windy day. The beach blanket was going everywhere, sand in my face. Everything was kind of out there and wild. And at the time, I had a wild thought, I want to do a PhD in music therapy. I don't know where that came from, maybe stemming from the fact that I had perhaps read an article published by a Spanish fertility group saying that when they were playing music to embryos growing in the lab, that the embryos would develop uh, quicker and that perhaps pregnancy rates were better. And at the same time, I was making a point of playing music for my patients during their pap smears and IUD insertions to help relax them. I then ended up Googling Music Therapy Sydney and ended up contacting Dr. Alison Short. We then had a brief meeting in January 2017 and then nearly a year later in November 2018, Alison got back to me to say, guess what? We have money for a research project. In the following interview, we explain what we have done since that initial meeting, our research and how we plan to change women's health experiences with music. I hope this episode is music to your ears. Ladies, welcome. Gina, Alison, how are you both? Fantastic, actually. Fine, thank you. Now, uh, in driving over here, I had a question for you. What music did you listen to if you listened to any music in your car? Um, I listened to Mac Miller's Posthumous album. Mm. Uh, so Mac Miller's a young hip-hop artist who died at the age of 26 from an overdose and this is an album that he was making right before he died and his family released it. And so it's interesting hearing the lyrical content mm. and also the way he used music to deliver the lyrical content knowing that he was pretty depressed and even suicidal at that point perhaps wow that's yeah. powerful so i've just been playing on repeat i have to listen to that yeah um i was listening to some classical music i have quite a long drive and i find that classical music is quite nice and relaxing for me with me and it was some nice um Debussy music that i was really just enjoying listening to as i drove Debussy. along <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you so much for both coming onto the show um i had lots of questions for you both uh, who do I start with, though, first? Should I start with you, Alison? Mm. Why not? If you need to. Can you tell our audience, Alison, what a music therapist does? 
A music therapist uses music as a tool to help achieve other types of things. Um, so it depends what the needs of the person are. But just like any other profession, it's, it's using music to help solve and work with whatever needs the person might have. So it could be needs to do with um, how people feel and helping them feel better. It could be needs around the physical aspect of things and being able to move better. Um, it could be learning type of needs about how you use your, your brain to think about things and that could be uh, with disabled kids, for instance. Um, so it could be a whole number of different things. It could be even spiritual things when people are at end of life. Um, music therapists can use music in all sorts of different ways as a tool um, to help them to help the people achieve whatever their needs are to, to address the needs. And obviously uh, it's a registered profession, isn't it? Yes. In Australia we have two courses um, that lead to becoming a registered music therapist. They're both master's courses um, and there have been more courses than that, but just two at the moment in Australia. They're hoping to get some more going. Um, music therapy is very well recognised around the whole world. Um, every Almost every country has music therapy training um, and our Australian music therapists are very highly regarded within that. Um, I work at Western Sydney University teaching the music therapy course there. Where did um, where did music therapy take off? Which country? Um, well, Was it America? It's hard. It's hard to say actually because you can go back to the Bible and things like that, where there's there's things um, about um, Saul play, playing the harp um, to help uh, with with um, soothing. So mm. even in the Old Testament, there's there's examples of harp being used to soothe people. There's things in, with the ancient Greeks where they talked about of the different humours and the different modes and the ways that music could be used to inspire people to battle or to inspire people in different mm. ways or help relax them. Um, so music has been used to help people in for a long while. Um, the, the modern use of music therapy as a tool alongside medicine and other allied health um, did develop in the early 1900s, but particularly took off from about the 1950s mm. when antidepressants were available and you could do a lot more with people um, in hospitals. And a lot of the early work happened um, with what was then called shell shock um, and um, with all sorts of psychiatric conditions mm, so at that point. post-traumatic stress yes, disorder probably from yes. all the wars. And... Yeah, it wasn't being called that at the time, yeah, but right. it is now, of course. So, so music has been seen to have a, a big influence. And, of course, we all know that we learn all sorts of songs for our alphabet and our numbers and whatever. So using music as part of cognitive development, our thinking development, um, has been around for who knows how long, very long time. So exactly saying where music therapy started or how it developed, there's so many different versions of that. And music is fundamental across all cultures. So even in, in you know, wide-ranging ethnic communities from all over the world, music is used in different ways, whether it's used um, for some form of healing or whether it's used to soothe people or whether it's used to communicate using drums from one, one group to another. Um, or, you know, here in Australia we've got the didgeridoo, which is a lovely and very interesting <laughs> instrument. There's, there's many ways that people use music. And so that, that interface between what's exactly therapy, what's part of community that just helps people feel better, um, that's that's all very interesting, I think. But modern music therapy is is um, in Australia is is a two year degree, uh, which is quite full intense time. training, two year full time training, um, 
where one learns about different ways to to apply music in an evidence-based manner um, and to help develop more evidence because we've got quite a lot of evidence but there's room for much more Mm. and so much more research can still go on. Yes, it's great to keep working on it. Gina, tell me, why did you become a music therapist? Um, I started off being a classical pianist and I was teaching on the side and I had a student with Down syndrome and we interacted for quite some time, two years, I think. And it got to a point where I figured that music could actually do more for him. And so I looked into music therapy and such and tried out all these things on him. And it seemed to, I don't know, kind of uh, improve his uh, relationships with his family and also how much more extroverted he was at school and such. And so then I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like there's so much more we could be doing with music besides, you know, feeding our egos as a performer. And so I looked into doing a course and, yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. How many years ago was that? Um, I graduated in 2017. Wow. And and do you still keep in touch with the boy with Down syndrome? No, he's moved to New Zealand actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder if he's using music therapy there still. Do you know? Um, it, why didn't he, I didn't call it music therapy because at the time I wasn't oh, trained yeah, or right. registered. Mm. Um, but I know that he has been getting piano lessons still. Love that story. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> so we're uh, the three of us are now doing research in women's health mm-hmm. and uh, music therapy. And, and mm-hmm. Alison, you said earlier that we're doing groundbreaking stuff because yes. around the world this, we're yes. not really studying this, but we are. So this is awesome, everyone. Yes. Listen up, listen up. Yes, yes. So tell us um, more, Alison. Well, I think there's been a lot of interest and I've talked to a few people at conferences over the last couple of years, but no one is really doing work with with women's health in this sort of way in in fertility treatment. And um, a little bit is happening around cancer care treatment, but but nothing in the way that we've we've envisaged with this project. So um, very interesting work and people are listening and wanting to know more about what we're doing. Um, a recent professor from from um, Norway who's uh, heads up a very well-recognised program was telling me she wants to know more. They want to know more about what's going on um, and they're interested in sending our students here to see what we're, we're doing too. Um, so, yes, I think it's just an area where, where music therapy hasn't yet gone. There's still plenty of scope for many new ideas in music therapy. Um, but you know, why not? We should be doing more with women and we should be helping. We know that music has effects to help um, soothe and settle people, to help reduce anxiety um, and to help express ourselves in different ways. Why not use this for women who are going through all sorts of challenges as they go through fertility treatment? Um, And, you know, I think of myself going through miscarriage, going through um, different parts of my life that were quite challenging with physical things going on, physical health things. And, you know, why aren't people using more of what we call psychosocial, the actually the emotional and, you know, if you like, the friendly human side mm. um, to help with, to help. And music's obviously a thing that helps with this. Mm. And you mentioned earlier that, um, well, frequently when we were t- chatting before that there are Perinatal, there's perinatal work that you've done at yes, RPA. Can you yes, t- tell our yes. listeners more about that? Yes, we've had interest from uh, both a, a nursing professor who helped kick this off with me, and I'd known her for some time, um, but we had interest from um, RPA Hospital to have some of our students go there and help in the prenatal area. 
Um, and we did, we've done that. I think we've had students for three years following now, um, who would go for a placement there, um, in their, as they're about to graduate. And Gina did this too. As they're about to graduate, they can go somewhere where there's no music therapist because they're almost graduated and we help supervise from the university. But so we've had, we've had actually a research project going alongside underneath this to gather data from, from the women as well. But the, the student was going there to provide music therapy sessions, individual and group. But these women to the, who were pregnant? To the women, for the women who were pregnant yep. and who were ho hospitalised for one reason oh, or another. Oh, so they were actually inpatients. They were inpatients at the hospital. Um, we also um, had them going to the waiting room because waiting room can be really horrendous for mm. hours and hours at the hospital too, and often people had young children with them, so it was something to help with the children as well. And then uh, based on the interest that was happening at RPA, then Nepean Hospital um, perinatal area was very interested too. Um, and so we've had a student there at Nepean Hospital too. And what have they found at RPA? What were their findings in that time that they spent with those women? Um, the, it was actually quite difficult to recruit. I think it's very hard for music therapy to be in a very clinical situation where everyone's very busy with lots of things. So we did have a few challenges around that. Um, but for the women who were involved, they really enjoyed it. They wanted to come back. Um, at Nepean Hospital, we had a situation where sometimes women have come in and they've lost their baby. Um, and so the music therapist student at the time was able to help in supporting that person. Um, another thing that we find is that mothers really, or people who are pregnant, really don't know. Um, a lot of people don't know lullabies anymore very much, well, and so it was a good sad, opportunity for helping teach lullabies and help the person prepare mm. for the baby as well. That's beautiful. Mm. We need to yeah. do more lullabies. We absolutely do. Yeah. And there's, there's some work around the world. There's some work in New York talking about uh, music therapists, very prominent music therapist, talking about songs of kin, she calls them. So it's the songs that are handed down. Mm. Um, the word and, of mouth stuff. Yes. Um, and, and every family has some songs that's been handed down in one way or another and then they're used to help and soothe the baby. Um so that sort of stuff is really interesting and there's mm. there's more work. There's quite a lot of interesting work around neonatal care, um, babies that are hospitalised then um, after birth that might be in intensive care or so forth mm. too. So mm. there's been a bit of work in music therapy in those areas for a little while. Um, but to actually help the women beforehand, and I remember from my own pregnancies, my first was really very challenging, um, that having someone, and I had music therapy sessions through my set, my um, pregnancies, that having someone to talk to about it, having a way to relax myself, um, having a way to cope with the challenges of, of really relatively traumatic, traumatic pregnancy was actually really handy for me. So, and, and I used music then right through the deliveries without, without pain medication. Um, Fantastic. So, mm. yes. so do you so have your kids into the same kind of music? that you were listening to when you were pregnant? Yes, yes. I, I mean, obviously so. growing up, yes. you, you would have exposed My, my first one was so, was so relaxed that it was I was struggling to wake her up <laughs> to feed her. I thought there was something yeah, right. wrong because there wasn't enough playtime, actually. I thought she had mm. to play with blocks and things like that to grow her brain and she wouldn't stay awake long enough. I was, <laughs> I've done something wrong. I'm a mother. My baby is too calm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah because you hear of, of women... Once the newborn is born, is there that oh, I'll play them a classical music CD because I hear it's good for their ba the, the baby's brain in terms of growth. Yeah. But you rarely hear of women 
paying attention to the music that they play when they are pregnant. Yes. Well, the baby can hear from about five months. Um, so, yes, and I know that because I dropped a lid on a, on the um, stove one day and the baby actually jumped even though Ooh. I didn't. So I know it's true. It's not ah, just the textbooks. So you've got in-house experience. <laughs> yes, that's right. Anyway, I guess that's enough about my own experience. No, that's what we're here for, to share experiences. So thank you for talking about your that's pregnancies. Gina, did you want to tell our listeners about what we're doing in our groundbreaking research project? Yes, yes. Um, Go for it. Yep. So we are investigating whether music and music therapy is effective in reducing anxiety uh, for women who are undergoing uh, gynecological and fertility treatments. Um, So far, our study includes two parts. The first part includes... um, uh, voluntary participants who are all patients of Dr. Tash. And um, these participants have to listen to music before they go in for their scheduled appointment. And they will complete a short questionnaire that kind of gauges their state anxiety level, um, as well as self-reporting through a, a questionnaire that we've developed for our project. And this questionnaire then kind of uh, tries to capture, you know, uh, music listening habits um, and just some further comments about uh, what women think about the use of music as service users in a medical environment. Um, and in the second part of our study, which is upcoming in March, uh, the 15th and 22nd, which are both Sundays. Um, March 2020, everyone. Yeah, next month. Uh, still a few spots left if anyone's interested in some group music therapy sessions with an accredited and experienced music therapist. Um, so in that part of the study, we are trying to find out whether uh, music therapy is effective in empowering women in self-managing their anxiety and stress that's related to gynecological and fertility treatments. Um, so, yeah, once again, that's coming up in March. <laughs> and what have you found so far with the study that we've um, been recruiting for? Um, what, in- what interesting things can you share with our audience, our listeners today? Yep, as a musician, what I found really interesting is the two most popular genres of music are pop and hip-hop. Um, and, yeah, uh, so far a lot of participants have uh, presented with a decreased uh level of state anxiety, where an average before music listening is 46.67 and the average after music listening is 33.33. And now the normal range, as indicated by the people who created this validated survey, is between 34 and 36. And so it's quite significant, the reduction in anxiety for our participants um, and 100% of our participants have said they would recommend music listening before procedure to a friend, which is great because if you're going to re- recommend it to a friend, it means it really worked. Mm. A lot of the women have found that it's a great distraction. It gets them to think about, uh, to focus on something else, and that prevents overthinking, which then induces relaxation. Yeah. So if you were waiting for a procedure, say I was, I was going to do a hysteroscopy or an IVF, an egg collection on you, for example, what what would you choose to listen to? I would choose to listen to maybe some ambient electronic music. Ambient electronic? Yeah, which I found quite interesting because a lot of our participants have also cho- chosen that 
when they need to indicate what music they listen to mm. to relax. Mm. Alison? I'd probably use classical music myself and I guess that's that's part of the history of where I've come from as a person. I was brought up with classical music, played classical music from a young age and that's just something that, that works well for me. So, But everyone has their own genres and their own interest in music and part of what we do in music therapy and this project is we, we allow for the fact that many people might like different different types of music and so we have lots of options and, and a wide range of music available because we, studies show that, that the music that you choose is better to relax you, like people people need to have a choice in it. It's not like there's a certain type of music that's always the most relaxing for everyone. And I have a silly, silly saying that I've said over the years, um, often to medical people, is to say, it's not like, you know, take three concertos and call me in the morning. It's <laughs> not that exact um, that, that music is like a pill. Music is, is something that you choose yourself that will have, have an effect. Right. And then we can measure the effects. It depends that. on the yeah. day, doesn't it? Yes. It reminds me of, um, so before we all connected and started our obvious, obvious study into music therapy and women's health, I had one patient who uh, I was doing a pap smear on and I asked her, did you want to listen to some music to help relax you? And she said, sure. And I said, what would you like? And she said, I'd love Prince. And my, I was just like, oh, fantastic, because I love Prince. And then I asked her, what song would you like to listen to? And she said, Scarlet Pussy, which <sighs> is one of his songs, which is one of my favourite songs. And um, it was probably the most fun pap smear I've ever done, if you could call a pap smear fun, because we couldn't stop laughing at our mutual love for this song and the lyrics are so cheeky. And... Um, you know, she was so relaxed with the pap smear and it could be because we were talking about our favourite artist but listening to that song. Yes. So um, I think that may have even been the sentinel case that inspired me to maybe connect with you, Alison. Yes. Yeah, so. Could have been, yes. yes. Well, it's been lovely to connect with you and it's been – couple of years now that yeah. we've been talking on and off. It's been to fantastic. See what we do. And this is the first time – as a doctor, that I've been doing research that I've genuinely really enjoyed. Yeah. So um, I thank you for like being part of the the, the team. You yes. know, well, it's we just... certainly enjoy working with you, and thank yeah, you for yeah, sure. for the invitation and for your interest too. Because I mean, there's lots of studies that we would like to do and that we think of, but unless someone's really genuinely interested, it just, in my experience, it just doesn't take mm. off. There's it's been like times life, when I wanted it? to go here or go there, but once you've got someone who's really interested and has that passion and enthusiasm and can see the value of what's going on then a study will take off. Um, so thank you for all that you've done and the commitment you've made to, the, to this and the, the way that you've helped helped promote and extend it. And it would be great. We, we were just talking earlier about some plans we have for extending the research even well, do you further. Want to talk, do you want to talk to our audience about that? Because, folks, we need some money to keep all this going. So we are going to pitch. We're going to talk about what we would like money for. So, Alison, do you want to talk yes, about that? Yes, yes. Well, we've already been able to get some small grants to be able to start the projects off and to be able to use music and get some special music players to be able to use in this study. 
Um, and now we've moved into, as you've heard from Gina, there's going to be a couple music therapy sessions coming up, which will be free of charge to you if you would like to join in these studies. Um, so, but that's only for a couple sessions. So we would like to be able to extend it to more sessions. So we would need funding to, to actually employ music therapists some more. Um, and of course, to keep doing the research data gathering. Um, so the, the questionnaires that go around it. But most importantly, we want to engage people in, in the study. Um, the idea is to help empower women with resources of how they can use music for themselves to help with anxiety, to help with coping with the difficulties and challenges um, as they go through you know, this challenging time if you're looking at fertility treatment. It's not always so easy. Um, but we would like to extend that further, so we need more finance for that. But then we've been talking about a further project where we would like to have individual sessions for people that are particularly needy in terms of, you know, they may be really struggling a little bit, and we all do struggle from time to time one way or another. And sometimes an extra therapy session or an extra something counselling will help people, and we'd really like to extend it further so that we can offer individual sessions to people as well. And then once we've looked at all of that, we'd actually like to look broadly about how we can offer this suite of at least several different ways of using music um, as, as a larger project to reflect on how this principle works. So everything from having another professional or yourself choose the music to going to individualised music therapy sessions with a professional music therapist to actually having, so to have the groups and then the individual music therapy sessions, we'd like to offer that possibility and then to study it so that we can find a way to say, actually, there's some good things in here or if there's something we need to change, we need to change this so it works better. But um, then once we've trialled it here, then there's a good chance that we can spread that to other other people with other clinics across Australia, across the world for that matter, um, doing larger projects. Um, I reckon we should approach the, you know, Beyonce's, Taylor Swift's, Pinks of the world. Could be. Um, to maybe yeah. donate some money. And I know if Prince was still alive, he'd definitely be giving me some money. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> You're going to America this year to present at a conference yes. uh, on music therapy and medicine. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, our abstract, our, our summary of the project has been accepted for the um, International Association of Music and Medicine Conference in Boston. It happens every couple of years and it's, it's people that are both medical professionals, nursing, allied health and music therapists who all come together to look at different ways that music can be used in the medical field. Um, and I'm very glad that we've had our joint abstract accepted and and uh, I think Tashi should come too. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's wonderful that we've had this accepted and I know that there's a lot of interest already just from looking at the abstract that people people are interested in in seeing what we've got to say. So we'll be presenting the early findings of, of what we've what we found um, as Gina's been talking about, the, the ways that music has been helping people and we'll be talking about what we plan to do for the future mm. and uh, that will be really Really yeah. excellent because it's people from all over the world, from Europe, from America, um, from from Australia, from all over. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd love to see music therapy being um, utilised more in investigative medicine. So when a woman has to have an ultrasound yes. while she's waiting for that that scan, yes. which she's anticipating may be a bit painful depending on what scan she's having, it would be really nice to be able to give her something to use for music. But even just telling a patient or asking them, did you want to listen to music But whilst you wait? Just yes. that question. Yes. Yes. Um, if, if that doctor or healthcare professional is knowledgeable as to the effects of music on women and yes. I think that's all we need to to yes. encourage I think it's an excellent idea. we don't really need to wait for the study to come out do we we know that we music relaxes music. people so to all the healthcare professionals that may be listening to this or patients in general anyone ladies whilst you're waiting for any procedure just play yourself some music just play your music. That's that's what you need to do. Certainly works for me with the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> what, you actually listen to music as the dentist is drilling into your mouth? or? Yeah, I have on occasion. Have I you? Have, I've never have, thought of doing that. My, my have, dentist doesn't stop talking. I have a lot of talking. stress. I have particular stress at the dentist because I gag very easily, oh. extremely very oh, easily. Oh, wow. Um, and so using music <laughs> in that situation helps me relax it somewhat. It reduces the gag reflex music maybe, <laughs> depending on music you're somewhat, listening to. Somewhat, but I think it also gives gives me a sense of, of control, a sense of empowerment mm. of something I can do. So there's the music itself, but it's also the fact that you've chosen to do something to help yourself gives you some form of empowerment and, and a sense of control over what's going on. And I think that's mm. really important too. Mm. So Remembering both... the M in empowerment stands for music. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. That could be a new logo for I us. I reckon. Yes. <laughs> Gina... Um, what qualities does a, a good music therapist need? Well, aside from that of, a, gen, of a, a health professional in general, and that is of a genuine interest in people's well-being, I think the two things that stand out to me are intuition and open-mindedness. Um, being intuitive in a sense that, um, you know, you have to use certain interventions and adapt them depending on the therapeutic situation. And in a sense of open-mindedness because we do work with people interpersonally and therapeutic change occurs during uh, from the interaction itself. And so being open-minded about, you know, t- using, doing and saying certain things tactfully um, and, uh, yeah, just keeping an open mind about how a session would progress as well um, because I guess – the best therapeutic outcomes come from meeting a person where they are. Yep. So intuition and open-mindedness. Intuition and open-mindedness. Mm. I um, had a... And music a... skills. And music yeah. skills. Yeah. So what, what, you play the piano and what else do you play? I play the piano. Now I play guitar and sing as well. And so those are the main things that I do in my session. As Richard well as Talento. Oh, yeah. It comes with a job, actually. A lot of um, music therapists would, be, would play multiple instruments. Mm. Yeah. Thanks Makes a lot, sense. actually. Yeah. I should bring my accordion one day for you. You play Tash. an accordion? Yeah, I do. Oh, that's fantastic. What else do you play? You play to piano, accordion and... Yeah, they're my main instruments. Wow. Auto harp? Auto harp, yes. I did play some guitar when I, can, I had I to I can see you playing the harp. <laughs> yeah. You should see me playing the accordion yeah. though. Just as well my shoulder and neck are fixed now <laughs> so I can do it again. <laughs> I tried learning the electric guitar a few years ago and I, I really enjoyed it actually but I just got caught up with other things. But um, I should probably go back to that. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I like being able to like plug something into an amplifier <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and making it really loud. You can live yeah. your print dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as your neighbours are okay with that. It's uh, a problem yeah. with music. 
Gina, I have a question for you. Yeah, questions. What 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 songs make you happy? What song makes you happy? Um, this is such a hard question because I my music taste changes every week, and I've got a very eclectic and wide range of listening I like to do. But I guess if I had to choose maybe top three, there's a trad jazz song called Sunny Side of the Street. It's just always cheers me up. Something like the melody and maybe the words even. Um, and then there's a song by Lizzo called Like a Girl, which I really enjoy. Like quite a few of Lizzo, Lizzo's songs um, are about feminism. She's an American. Yeah, hip-hop. Hip-hop artist. artist. She's a big girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. And yeah, she's yeah. quite new. Is, she, is that right? Oh, she's been around for ages, but All she's right. only recently Not become new. popular. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's a song by Kraftwerk called uh, Boing Boom Chuck. Boing Boom Chuck. Can't even say that. Yeah, it's quite funny. I don't like it because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Alison? Yeah, I think as a music therapist over the years, you, you do actually develop a wide range of interests and genres and songs. Um, and so it's really, as a music therapist, it gets harder and harder to answer this question of your favourite song because you just end up with so many favourites. But I guess, you know, along the topic that we're talking about now and thinking thinking of something that's relevant to that that I really enjoy, I would say Billy Joel. Um, she's always a woman to me. I love and that. I think that's that's particularly one of my favourites. She's always I remember, a woman I remember the to first me. time I heard it, my husband, well, now my husband, sang it to me the first time I heard it and it was just really lovely, you know. Beautiful. She can't be convicted. She's earned her degree and I was just finishing my degree at that point. Um, so some of the words that are in there are just I'll really, have to look at the lyrics really significant yeah, to me in that right. one. So she's always a woman. Um, Billy Joel. Yeah, Billy Joel. He's got some good stuff. That yeah. shows how old I am, right? No, I uh, <laughs> And then I lived, in New, I lived around New York for a while too. Oh, so, there you, you go. Know, uptown Girl meant something. I then yeah, knew uptown what Uptown girl. was. That was, a, that was an 80s yes. song, wasn't it? That oh, I, I remember that growing yeah. up. I loved that song. Yeah. How about other, any other songs that you like that stick uh, in your I mind? Think, I think... The, that's probably one that I'd talk about for today. It's really okay. hard to think. I haven't thought long enough to know what else. There's just so many songs I really enjoy. But but as I said earlier, I enjoy classical music a great deal. Mm. So so it's often the instrumental music that I enjoy as much or more than the songs. I'm much more of a, an instrumental person. Um, so just just enjoying a lot of music and enjoying playing the piano myself, which mm. which I can now do again. I've just had... Uh, dislocation of my shoulder and some neck injuries after a fall and I'm so rapt to be able to play again mm. and I actually used the piano to help with my rehab at the time um, to actually lift my arm again to move my arm side to side to, to what it's used to doing you can't see what I'm doing years. with my arm right now but it's yeah it helped yeah. me move the shoulder so it could go in and out rehab. again yes yeah, so over the piano I actively used the piano for my own rehab Fantastic. so being being able to play the piano again is really important for me and musically, Gina, if you had to collaborate with a musician, what would be your dream collaboration? Um, Patti Smith. Really? Yeah. She's so dreamy and ruthless. I love that. <laughs> Hasn't she got a book out? She's got quite a few books out, yeah. actually. Yeah. I remember being in the bookstore the other day and I saw a book by her. Oh, you have to read it. There's one that I really like with Just Kids. And it's all about, it's like it's semi-autobiographic, um, but you just get a sense of this vagabond woman, you know, just so fearless, roaming around, sleeping she was a in bit parks. Of, she was a vagabond, wasn't she? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, Patti Smith. Mm. Love it. I don't know. And also I have dreams of being in a punk band moment for some reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to let loose. <laughs> I've always had dreams of me being like a Madonna backup dancer. That, that's all, that was always my musical dream. How about you, Gina? I mean, Alison, your um, um, musical collaboration that you dream of? Billy Joel? I don't, I don't really have a dream of a musical collaboration. I'm really sorry to say. Um that's okay, I want it against you. Don't really have an answer for that one. Uh, books. I suppose you mentioned Patty Smith, Gina. Yeah. Um, any any favourite books that that you have read about music maybe? Um, no, I tend to not like to read books about music because I read so much literature that I just kind of want to get away from it and, you know, stimulate my imagination a bit. Um, but I have found that I tend towards books that kind of survey the human humanity and what it means to be human and also books with that are so intense that I just don't know how that will end. And such books include The Road by Cormac McCarthy, um, A Little Life, which is a more recent one by Hanya Yanagihara, I think it is. Sounds it's Japanese, really, Japanese really good. author? No. no, I think she's more Afghanistani, oh, okay. maybe. Somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, and then a very important book that I think everyone should read is um, No Friend But the Mountain by Bouchani. Uh, Behrouz Bouchani, who was a Iranian refugee detained on Manus Island. And he wrote this book during the six years that he suffered on the island. And the whole time he was just texting little bits of, the, of this book uh, when he could to his editor who was in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, mm. really check it out. It's, you know, you'll be um, crying and also just cr- being angry on the same mm. paragraph. I love books like that. Yeah. That you put down and you'll never forget. Mm. I uh, recently read a book. Uh, it's called uh, The Secret Library of Syria or something of that. Mm. And it was it was a book based on a true story about these young people trying to keep a library alive in Syria, which is totally war-ridden, as we know. And I just put that book down and thought, I'm so grateful that I can go to a library and not fear that it'll get bombed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The libraries in general are great resources. That's right. Mm-hmm. Alison? I really love the writings of Joseph Campbell, and um, that's, I think, had a big influence on me for many, many years. So I don't know whether you know Joseph Campbell's no. work, um, he's, he surveyed, uh, so it's in the area of um, theology, um, but he's, he's looked broadly at spirituality across all cultures in the world and distilled the stories within those to come up with the concept of the hero's journey, which no doubt you've heard about. So this was work from quite a long time ago. Um, and so he talks about the hero's journey and the way that the hero's journey plays out. And we see it in all sorts of ways. In culture, he collaborated over the Star Wars films mm. right at the beginning. The idea that, you know, there's something that's a, a challenge to you and then um, you find ways to work through that and there's various tasks and things that happen along the way and eventually you achieve something, you gain something, you bring it back to make a difference in your life. So so that's the sort of the, the roughly the hero's journey, but there's lots of permutations and combinations in... in um, all sorts of classical myths and stories and fairy tales, all that sort of thing. Um, so I really like the work of Joseph Campbell. And, and when I lived in America, there were some interviews on TV with him, with Bill Moyers, who was one of the, the um, 
uh, very good reporters on TV. But something that stuck with me from his work, he says, follow your bliss. Mm. And by bliss, he doesn't just mean feeling happy. He means the things um, that refresh you, that make a difference to you inside. And he says, follow your bliss and doors will open where you didn't even think doors could be possible. And I've been been reflecting on and living with that for quite a long time now, for quite a few years. And I think I think it's true. But was he the guy to... that coined that follow your bliss? Follow he your was bliss, the guy. yes. He oh, was right. the one who said it. Because you hear that saying all the time. Mm. Yes. And it gets a bit banal, really. But follow your bliss. If you really deeply try and do that, think about the things that move you and whether it's music, whether it's something else. A lot of people are stuck in jobs where they don't enjoy it and it's not really their bliss and it's not really helping them, their health or anything else. But if you game to, follow your bliss, follow the things you'd like to do, but the things that refresh you inside. Um, and so I think that that idea of follow your bliss is is really important to me, and that's that's a writer and all the the writings that have stemmed from his writing, and it's gone into Jungian psychology, it's gone into a lot of popular culture. As I said, it's gone into all sorts of movies, and once you start noticing heroes' journeys, it's everywhere. It's mm. in stories of everyone's stories, um, and I think yeah, that's just been a really important thing to me, and. And, you know, even this project for me is about following my bliss. I've same always here, been sister, interested. <laughs> yes, always been interested in the physical side of what music therapy to contribute to physical types of problems and health type of problems. And, you know, that's why I did some work in, in cardiac care and cardiac rehabilitation and in the emergency department in various different places. Um, so, yes, follow your bliss. This this is a blissful uh, project that we're doing, yeah, and we I are, hope we that we can so bring bliss to other people. Everyone. Yes, mm. I'd like to finish by um, asking you both separate, multiple kind of like what, little quizzes. We can call oh, them multiple choice questions. So who's oh, going to go first? Worrying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about Gina? We'll hit you up first. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 kind of topic for this quiz, everyone, uh, is reusable cloth pads and period underpants. You'll get the answers from this quiz with the next episode in the next episode show notes. So we're not going to share those answers with you today. So Gina, I'm going to hit you with the first question. Sure. To cover an average five to seven day period cycle, how many cloth pads is it recommended you have? Seven, 12, or 20? 12. 12, okay. With proper care, how long will a cloth pad last? Two years. Actually, before before we keep going, I should explain to everyone what a cloth pad is. It's actually a. a I know a, what it is. Yeah, so it's a My pad. My daughter makes them. Oh, for no herself. Way. Oh, really? She's been making them for herself. I recently. need to connect with your daughter because yes. I want to start a workshop based on making cloth pads yeah, no, and, she, and educating young on, girls about their periods. She got decided she was, she was fed up with all the other oh, things and she was making her own. Oh, your daughter. Yes. So cloth pads are. Um, Pads you can make, ladies, mm. um, in your yeah. own home out of, of, of cloth fab sewing fabric. Machine and some fabric. That's it, and a bit of <laughs> a bit of um, thread. So, with going back to the question, <laughs> so now that we know what cloth pads are, the question now is: with proper care, how long will a cloth pad last? Two years, five years, or ten years? Ten years. Next question. To cover an average five to seven day period cycle, how many period underpants is it recommended you have? Seven, 12, and t or 20? And we're talking about maybe moddy body underpants, everybody? 
7, 12, or 20 to cover an average five to seven day period cycle? Uh, 12. <laughs> yep. Depends okay. what average is, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Depends how heavy your periods average are, maybe. Average was never average for me. <laughs> and the next question, um, with proper care, how long will your period underpants last? Two years, five years, or 10 years? I'm just going to keep it consistent. 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question. This is your last question, Gina. <laughs> the most common reason every Australian person doesn't use reusable sanitary options is because A, it's gross like what my grandmother used. B, it's easier just to throw away sanitary pads and tampons and not to think about them or the environment, of course. C, not many people have heard about the modern reusable options. Um, in a day and age of mass production, I reckon it's B. Okay. That's your quiz. Moving on to Alison. You oh. don't have as many questions. Yep. See if you can impress your daughter with these ones, the answers. Oh, we'll see. What are menstrual cups most commonly made from? A, soft plastic. B, soft rubber, i.e. latex. C, soft medical grade silicon. Uh, it would be the medical grade silicon, I think. Next question. You can use a menstrual cup if you haven't had sexual intercourse or you are a young teenager. True or false? Uh, true. Next question. Compared to a tampon, a menstrual cup can hold how many times more menstrual fluid? Two, that is 10 to 12, 15 mils. Three or four? I think it's quite a lot, maybe four. So C, the yes, last C, I think. Yeah, the last, okay. And the last question, with proper care, how long will a good quality menstrual cup last? One year, five years, or ten years? Mm. So it was one year. Five years five. or ten years? Uh, I think I'll just say one year. I don't know. God, you don't have faith in a menstrual cup, do you? No, not really. Never <laughs> used it myself. We'll share the uh, the, the answers uh, next episode. Thank you both so much for coming on Thanks, the show. Dr. Thank you fun. very much. It's been lovely talking to you. Mm. So what music would you like to be listening to when you're next having your pap smear or IVF procedure, ladies? If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic podcast. And if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Insta, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books you'd like us to share and read. Until next time, stay fantabulous. Fantabulous.